Good morning. Welcome to our second podcast on Thanks for the Feedback. I'm your host, Sylvia Ellison. And I'm your other host, Nicole Huff. And we are excited to be back. This week, we want to introduce our second structure. So last week, we did Lectio Divina, which means that we pulled a piece of text and did a four-step process with it to better understand it. This week, we're going to question the text. We're going to use Havrutha. So Sylvia and I in each chapter have picked a spot where we want to ask a question. And if you remember, Havrutha is the answers are between us. So we pick a spot, ask a question, suppose what the answer might be, leaving room for other interpretation, let your partner suppose an answer, discuss that. And the answer that we come to that we agree on should be between us. It should not be solely either of us. And the cool thing about these chapters, there's three of them that we're going to address today, is that they're so rich and meaty mm-hmm. that we can't address everything. So that's where your voice comes into play. If there's something that you wanted to talk about or hear about that we didn't discuss, please send us that question and we can uh, bridge that in our live webinar, especially this time since that's our next episode together where we can talk about the different types of feedback. Chapter two, of course, introduces the three types of feedback, which I always found interesting when I started the reading this book is that when we talk about feedback, we always think of people giving us uh, advice for change, right? But I love the idea that there's three different pieces. Um, appreciation, which says they're recognizing our effort. Um, coaching, which is they want to give us something to help us get better, and evaluation, they want to make sure that we're aligning with the standards um, or with the given criteria. And I think it's so critical, as I was reading through these, my brain kept going back to um, our current role as teachers and then the role as facilitators for National Board. And as a candidate especially, I thought it was interesting how sometimes I think our candidates are wanting feedback, but they don't may not know what type of feedback they want, or they're just not getting the feedback they want. Right. I noticed in the chapter they talked about the um, people at the law firm who went in to the man and Mm. asked for feedback, and he thought he was doing this great thing, but three for three he missed. Uh, He gave them all the wrong kinds of feedbacks for what they were looking for. I know I don't always know what I want, but I also know that when it is my boss, in some way, it is always nice to have at least a little bit of appreciation. I know you've talked in other chapters about the nice little sandwich where there's something nice and then right. something to work on and then something nice. It's nice to have that bit of appreciation in there. I did. I remember that. I mean, I, And when I was evaluating, I would always ask them, do they want the areas of focus first or the strengths first? Because I remember in the professional world, people often are just, quote, unquote, waiting for the hammer to drop. What I never thought to do was ask if they wanted their feedback as coaching or evaluative, right? right? What a huge difference because I believe what we were trying to accomplish was coaching and what mm-hmm. they were hearing was evaluative because yes. the two are often fused. So my question here today in this whole chapter is how do we communicate intentions or desperations or feedback wants, right, between the feedback giver and the feedback receiver. And I bring that question to the table because I believe that as professional learning facilitators, we are called to um, often counsel or coach or evaluate other teachers Mm 
mm-hmm. in their practices. And there are times that I think that we're not sure we have great intentions, but we're not sure our feedback is getting through. So how can we ensure that 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 what we're giving is what they want or what they're they're receiving is what we're intending and what they're ready to hear too yes. right you know the chapter talks about how if we never get evaluation then we try to find it in all of the other places right so i think that's interesting and i also think when you're talking about how do we know if they're going to hear it the right way and which type we should be giving if I were to just say to somebody who I was looking at a lesson with or looking at a write-up from National Board of a lesson or watching them teach or something, looking at a lesson plan, if I were to just say, what kind of feedback do you want? I'm also wondering how they would really hear that. Would they hear that as, if I say appreciation, that's what I'm going to get and I'll be fine? Or would I hear? would they hear that as, oh, she's got something bad to say, but doesn't necessarily want to crush me because they're always looking for evaluation. So how do we set that up the right way? How do we have those discussions honestly so that people don't read other intentions into what we're trying to say? Well, and I think the first step is understanding that there are three types of feedback, right? I think that last year when I was emailing out my first hint of writing to people, which is very last minute, I asked for encouragement, and I don't know that my the people I sent it to understood that, mm-hmm. because that could have been a quick turnaround. Like, hey, I looked at this so far, looks good. I have, you know, what keep a great going. lesson idea. <laughs> well, right in this case, and I don't remember what the writing was at this point, but it was like, keep going. Mm-hmm. You're going to make this. You're going to do this, and, and I think that's what I wanted to hear, and I think what they intended was to download it, look at it comb through it and give me coaching advice like here's how you can improve this and I think that that was misinterpreted only because when you don't know that there's three types of feedback and I'm looking for appreciation right then it's hard to give the feedback back that I wanted and it's not a bad thing I think at the time it was a learning experience right so I'm wondering I think the first step to improving that kind of feedback is we all need to be aware of the types of feedback there are. Yeah. If we're aware of the types on the giving and receiving end, then we're more likely to hit the mark. Maybe we need to start before there's ever any writing, before there's ever any observation, before, with, okay, so we're going to enter into this together, and we sort of need this mutual contract and agreement. Let's talk about there are three types of feedback we may get through this process if we're doing this together. We're both going to give it to each other because you're going to tell me how good I am of a mentor through a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. through me reading your face, through right. uh, through if you keep coming back to me. And <laughs> right. And then there's certain things, certain practices we go through life that demand a certain type of feedback. When you're observed by your administration, mm-hmm. you are being evaluated. You are. The difference I think there is you could ask for coaching in addition to the evaluation. We just have to be able to separate the two. I think when we meet face-to-face, that's the coaching part. The data you receive at the end, that's the evaluation part. And I think we have to separate the two. They're not going to tell you about your evaluation when they're talking about coaching. Right. right? And the interesting thing is, in this book, in this chapter, it talked about, on page 36, it talked about needing um, appreciation, needing coaching, needing evaluation, and needing all three. 
and that for the employee satisfaction and the high retention and the high productivity, we also needed to separate all three kinds. Appreciation needs to be spread throughout, but that people need to know how they're doing evaluatively and that that conversation has to be separate from coaching. And then throughout this chapter and in the next one, I also felt like it talked about how you got the evaluation and said something in the moment, but then really wished you could go back and be like, these are the things I needed to ask or needed to say because we need that processing time. So can we do that? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering is, can we have the evaluation first and then in some way, not not necessarily from the rubric observation and all of that, but can there be some form of evaluation first? This is what I've seen so far this year. This is what I know going in. Right. So that I have time to process that and know what questions to be able to ask to get good coaching that I can hear and receive. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, along the way, I think it's nice when leaders, um, either the person, just the person giving the feedback, either be an administrator or a coach, um, acknowledges the effort that people are putting in because mm-hmm. I do believe that teachers, employees, students, for the most part, want to do a good job. And I, you have to kind of go into this line of work with that mentality, oh, right? And I think if we do that, then we can start that process of, I see the effort you're putting in today. You're not unnoticed. That's like, I think it was actually you on Twitter that liked something I saw this weekend. You know, often our students in the lower classes feel so defeated when they're working so hard and still aren't passing. And there was something that a math teacher was doing where in his PowerPoint slides, he was putting in a slide for all of the kids who had improved by at least 15%. And kids were like wanting to take a picture with that slide to send to their parents because look at how much I grew. And it was no longer about not hitting the benchmark. It was the appreciation for hard work and how much they were improving. Yeah, and I think that that's one of those things that a conversation for another day is why our grading system is such a a deficit because a kid who goes from a 40 to a 55 still has an F. But, man, Mm -hmm. look at the gains they made. And a kid who goes from an 89 to a 91 is applauded. Right, right, because it's a different letter. Right, and so it's just one interesting. I think that um, the ending part of this one, when you talked about the lawyer, is that we have to be careful not to just slap ourselves on the back, like, yay, I gave feedback, but we have to be clear as facilitators, as mentors, as feedback givers, that our feedback hit the mark, that did you get what you wanted today, or... um, I would say this, that Amy Ballins, who is um, one of our national board followers, ambassadors, said that um, before she went into a a meeting with her professional learning facilitators in our mentor group, let me back up a little bit. She would have to meet with them before they would present Mm -hmm. our training sessions. And she was giving feedback to them, and they were either walking away devastated or thrilled and she couldn't figure out what the difference was and so she finally started sitting down and before they even started she said what kind of feedback would you like today right and so the way that um, for her for her and I think this was appropriate if you said you wanted coaching feedback then her feedback came in the form of questions Mm -hmm. not loaded or guiding questions but genuine questions and if they wanted evaluative feedback she came 
she, with here's a statement. the standard, right? The statements. And if she wanted to appreciate to feedback, she could give that and then say, now I need to give you some coaching mm-hmm. or evaluation feedback, right? Well, and she could find the spots they were doing well for the appreciation. Look at the effort they put into it. I yeah. mean, that alone. I th- and I think that that was a, like an eye-opener statement for me. That And in order to do that, of course, the people that you're giving it has to also recognize that there's three types of feedback. So I think maybe one of the things that we need to think about doing is with our national board candidates in the Aspire program, Maybe we need to take a few minutes and do a mini lesson on the three types of feedback and mm-hmm. say when your person's coming to give you feedback, there needs to be a conversation or an agreement between the two of you about what kind of feedback you're looking for that day. Yes, and wouldn't it be great also at buildings if one of the mm. per- small professional development articles we sent out was like an excerpt from this book so that we could teach teachers as well as admin a way to set the ground rules so that our conversations around things like performance reviews and whatnot right. are heard the way they're intended so that we're all on an even playing field. That's and nicely we're not said misinterpreting. Too. Yeah. Which leads us to chapter three, which is yes. kind of nice. He says chapter three is about first understanding and the shift from that's wrong to tell me more. I think that's that subtitle there is so clear because, um, and what this chapter is about because when we um, get feedback, the first thing we do, um, and I go back to Amy Ballins. I, once, I highly respect her as a leader, but um, she said that sometimes when we get feedback, we go through this mini grieving cycle, <laughs> right? No, that's wrong. Oh, my gosh, I'm angry. Now I'm depressed. Then, you know, we finally get around to, okay, now what was really in there, where's right? The, where's the pony? Where's the kernel of truth? Yes. And the problem is a lot of times people stop at one of the first stages without realizing they have to get through the whole cycle, which is what I appreciate about when she said that because that was an eye-opener for me. Like, am I stopping too early to get the truth out of this feedback? So this chapter talks all about labels and um, about how we often give feedback and we think that we're being clear, but because we have different backgrounds or different pasts, we have different ones. So, for example, the coaching, be more confident what was heard was that I don't give the impression that I'm, I know when things are working or not. What was meant was have the confidence to say you don't know when you don't know. Right. Or have the confidence to recognize and own that it's working right. This is my area of expertise. This is not my area of expertise. Correct. And it's okay to have both of those. Right. So my question for this chapter, and I feel like I'm hogging the question, so I'll give you the next chapter. But my question for this is how do we as givers and receivers uh, recognize and deal with labels. So when somebody gives us feedback, how do we get to that kernel? How do we go through the grieving cycle and get to that kernel so that we can move from the subtitle alone, which is that's wrong and we get to tell me more. So what do you think, what are you gonna do or what do you think a good answer is? Well, I think I guess for me, the first step is recognizing that uh, the cycle exists and that I have to get through that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second thing, I, did, I need to assume positive intent on the part of my feedback giver. If somebody, and I think this is going to come up later, if I know the person who's giving me feedback and I trust that person, I always assume positive intent. But um, I travel nationally and train for um, a curriculum company. And there are times when the feedback that I get is hurtful because I don't know the person who's giving it. Sometimes it's anonymous, sometimes it's face-to-face. Um, and I have to remind myself quickly that 
there's an ounce of truth in everything that they're telling me. I've just got to get to where that truth is. That it might be in your blind spot. Correct. You know, the, the most the most common one is you tell too many personal stories <laughs> versus you really make the curriculum come alive with your personal stories. Right. Right. So like there's a there's a balance between what did Sylvia Ellison do in her classroom and well that's not my classroom and my you know, my sure. situation is not the same as that. And so I think um, in that situation, I have to assume positive intent that the person who's, I can, I can get, by the way, I can get both of those feedbacks in the tra- same training, of course. right? So it's recognizing, oh, I probably need to tone down my storytelling a little bit, but instead pick the most valuable stories. Don't tell all of them, but pick mm-hmm. the ones that have the greatest kernel of things that can apply to all classrooms. And I also think some of that is based on different receivers, that there may be someone who very quickly relates to your first story and therefore is then planning in their own head. And if we have five other stories or three other stories or even just one other story, that person is trying to plan in their head and the story is now getting in the way because they already related to it versus somebody else who didn't relate until the third story or who just really liked being in your classroom virtually and wasn't yet planning their own thing. Well, and once again, having conversations about the feedback is helpful because Mm -hmm. you get different perspectives, right? Sure. The labeling, I think, is what's important here, though, is that... um, when I get feedback that says I'm too great a story, or too much of a storyteller, that's kind of specific, right? I mean, that's, oh, I'm telling stories too often, or I'm telling too many stories, or my stories are too long. But these are labels that say things like you're too aggressive, or you're not mm-hmm. confident enough. Um, those kinds of labels, I think, are the ones that are the greatest struggle for people to receive. And I think, I, I, I find it difficult to even give that kind of feedback anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's kind of where I wanted to talk a little too about potentially an answer is with any of the labels. I know that it's on me as the receiver to dig into those, but because I'm reading this and I am somebody who gives feedback as well, I'm also thinking that the other thing that's on me is to kind of live the model. If I want as a receiver to dig in then I also want as a giver to dig in and I don't want I don't want to hurt people or anything like that Mm -hmm. but I'm thinking along the lines of being a good English teacher and teaching writing that a lot of this follows the label is my claim the data of where Mm -hmm. I'm coming from is my evidence and then my commentary around that helps them for the going forward into the future so as a giver, if I have had the conversation up front of like, what are the kinds of feedback? What are you looking for today? We really want to have some open conversations. I want to do more than just offer you one little bite-sized piece that maybe doesn't really seem to be something you can implement. I, I don't want to hammer a point, but I do want to give you an example so that we can better understand each other. I might need to start with like little paragraphs of claim, claim, evidence, and commentary. But are with that, and, I, and as you're saying, I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense. And then I think, but is that evaluation blended with coaching? And like, it are may we cross well transactioning here? It may trying very to well get be. both in there at the same time. So how do we get around that process? And maybe the idea is just looking at the data first. I believe that, and one thing we're doing in English now is, or as I'm doing as a writing coach, is that. Every day, every time I look at a paper with a teacher, I am 
doing my best to find something positive that that kid has written. Because I do believe that there are times when we go out to talk to kids and we say to them, what is something your teachers told you that you do well in writing? And the answer is, my teachers never told me anything I do good in writing. And that's heartbreaking, right, for a kid. Yeah. That means there's no appreciation for the effort he's putting in or she's putting right. in. There's no, there's not, not even a kernel of good stuff in there. So it's interesting as I'm reading through stacks of papers that I can find something good in every paper. And so in my yeah. pen, I write that down on the paper, even if the teacher does not. I go good ahead and write that. You. But I never put any scores on the paper. I put those on a post-it note so the teacher can take them off or the teacher can write them or teacher can do whatever they want with them. But I do want that kid to know, man, this sentence right here is powerful. And, you know, that's how I learned to write. Not necessarily with the positive feedback, but by, as I was reading, finding things that I liked and then emulating that. Right. So if we can show our kids what is effective and powerful and positive in their writing, they can do more of that. And that's really important. And I think that they say this in here, we, we've got to make sure that we don't confuse data and interpretation. Yes. Which is evidence and commentary. commentary. The, the claim then becomes our interpretation as well. And so maybe the idea is that we could even say, what I'm thinking is this, but I want to explain that. Like, what I'm thinking in your That's writing nice here is that it's missing something, but I'm not sure what it's missing. So let me talk about what I see, and let's see if we can figure out what's missing, as opposed to this is weak writing. That's a really nice way of phrasing that because that's you giving them the data without being like, this is my point, and here's why I know it's true, and I'm going to hammer it to you, which, as I was saying that it would be nice to give the claim that... I can hear that as a receiver, I might take that as like, oh God, there's more, there's more, there's more, uh, and shrivel up versus the way you approached that conversation was, I want to talk through this and this is what I've seen and where I think I'm going so that it's a much more open conversation and something I can hear. You know, what's interesting is I was just looking back at this. I am very bad about missing the forest for the trees, right? I'll get caught up in the little things and miss, miss in books, especially um, the title of the activity, or I'll miss the title of things. Mm -hmm. And then, if you, like on page 57, I saw the looking back label looking forward, and I was reading that graphic. And the same graphic is on page 60, and I thought, oh, good, they're just giving different ones, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I missed the idea that, oh, coaching is at the top of that box on page 57, and evaluation is at the top of the box on page 60. So I think, what did you observe about me, about the world, about this? What can, you know, look, what's your advice? compared to what is the criteria used versus what are the consequences. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's an interesting part, too, is if if I'm going to look at your writing, maybe for National Board, am I looking at it with the idea of the criteria mm -hmm. or am I looking at it for my observations, right? If I'm observing, like, in here, so I'm if we observing. set the ground rules first, this feedback is going to be coaching, this feedback is going to be evaluation, that also helps. Correct. Because it's what we've seen and talked through versus against a standard. Which means that if my if I'm really good at evaluating, I might have to say, I'm really good at evaluating. So if we want coaching, I think you need to go see Nicole because <laughs> Nicole is so much better at coaching. Maybe we can switch out people and do that. Or oh. maybe do this. Have different experts. You could have different experts, right. Or recognize my as a giver my own strengths. Like, I'm really good at evaluative feedback. Is it okay if I base your writing against what I see in the criteria? 
Sure. And then as national board facilitators, professional facilitators, we need to recognize that at the beginning stages, maybe they need more appreciation and coaching. Sure. And then when we get to the editing phase is when we do the evaluation piece. I think Sabrina's really good at that. Because when you sit down with her at the final end, when you're actually when you're trimming everything back, Mm -hmm. that's really evaluative. And she's good at telling you that you don't need this Mm -hmm. or this right here. You need to say in less words. And especially when I use the word that all the time, (laughs) she's cut 15 that's out of mind because why are you saying that word all the time? You don't need it. And I have a very brief story that's actually going to move us from this and into our next one in chapter four with our blind spots. And that's my mother and national board years and years ago she was helping someone work through national board she was not helping me she was helping a man uh, who will remain nameless and this man hit on one of her pet peeves where he was offering strategies to help his kids and they kept staying at like level one thinking and they weren't moving beyond it and the teacher was doing most of the work And as an outsider, I believe what was going on was that he was trying to help his kids where they were struggling by giving them some more information or asking some of the lower things and helping them on the higher ones. But really, he was helping too much, and they were never getting to the higher ones. And the way that he said it was, these kids can't this and these kids can't that. And it really hit a hot button for my mother who just looked at him and gave him the evaluation and label and said, it is not these kids, it is you. And he never asked her for feedback ever again. Um, I love your mother. She's good at that. (laughs) Yes. So she didn't know what he was looking for and the two of them didn't communicate well. And he hit a spot in her that a lot of us have. Well, it's right not now. these kids. They're all our exactly. kids. And they all can. And we, you know. Well, a great example of expertise. Right. She is an expert at giving evaluative feedback. Because <laughs> she, she knows where the standard is. Right. And that's what I liked about her. Because there's a lot of times when I really just want evaluative feedback. Tell me where I am. Because once you tell me where I are, I can figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. I'm such a lifelong learner that I'm going to figure out how to fix it. And if not, I'm going to come back to you and say, okay, I get it. Now where do I go from here? Yeah. If I don't know how to. So I think that sometimes in our lives we need those. And I, I appreciate that about her when she told me that, yeah, my writing was really bad. By the way, on a side note, Ms. Wilkovich, my writing was so bad that I ripped it up and start over and I got a perfect score on that entry. <laughs> but so, I had to have that in order to do that, right? Sure. But I also think that sometimes those evaluations hit us in ways that we can't see. And that's why right. I really think those two people were just miscommunicating. And that's because of our blind spots, right. which moves me to my question. In chapter four, on page 90, at the bottom, what helps us see our blind spots? I've got underlined, you can't see yourself more clearly just by looking harder. Here's why. When we take a good hard look, what we'll see is that you don't have any blind spots and that the feedback is wrong. And so this bothered me because I am, I'm introspective and I like to get better. And it's telling me that by looking harder, I can't. So my question is, if I can't get this through introspection, then how do we get past our blind spots and how do we become better people in writing and just in life And I only have a partial answer, and that's that I think it's on us as a whole community. Mm -hmm. I think that it's my responsibility to help other people see their blind spots in a way that feels opening and welcoming, like you did with that last conversation where you started with, 
here's what I think I see and I want to give you some data to see if we're on the same page and clarify this and make it that open conversation and not just a hammer because if I can do that for other people then then hopefully they know and if I'm explicit then they know that I want the same for me so that people will show me my blind spots since I cannot see my own face and I do not analyze my own voice through the system in my brain that STS I need other people to help me do it what do you right. think? I, no, I think so. I think I'm drawn back to a conversation of learning I had where they, um, as a singer, they said you can't hear how your voice sounds, which is why I think like American Idol has all those crazy um, people who try to audition right. that can't sing. And we, as professionals, or even as kind people, I think sometimes we need to tell people, wow, you should not go on TV to sing, right? <laughs> and we need to say it in and kindness and with people we love because I can't give that feedback to you know random person on the street right I have to give it to somebody who I know and yet there's times when you know tone deaf kids have turned out to be great singers so um, because you can train that but I do believe that you can't hear yourself I think we talked about this on the podcast that on the podcast when we said when we listen back to it, I'm like, that doesn't sound like me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like me. And we liked each other's voices, but we didn't like our own. Right. So I think that when we're given feedback, it hits us in a blind spot because we're like, that's wrong. Kind of like the previous mm-hmm. chapter. But I think that because we want to get better, the community that you speak of, I think let's, let's narrow that down. I think we create a community around us of people that we trust and then we go to those people when somebody outside the community gives us feedback and say, is this true? The different mirrors they talked about. Yeah. And saying to someone, I'm not looking for a mirror of appreciation. I'm looking for a mirror of honesty. And the patterns. It says, you know, I've heard this feedback once. Um, okay, it's one time. Oh, now I've heard it a second time from a different source. Or oh, I've heard it a third time from a different source. So I'm seeing a pattern. I need to own it. Nope. Right? Nope. I need to go... Wow, I believed this was wrong, but now I'm hearing it again and again. Maybe there's some truth to it. So then, mm-hmm. if I'm wise, I go to my trusted people who are expertise in that field and say, "Eek, what a, you know? Is this is this what you're saying?" And hopefully they'll say, "No," or I can see why people would say that because, mm-hmm. or, yeah, I didn't know how to tell you. Right. Right. And and I'm okay with that now. I used to be like, oh, we were, I thought we were friends. You know, and all of a sudden you go into a different room. <laughs> but I remember, I have to remind myself, this is the people I trust. These people love me. Correct. And they have good intentions. And they choose to be around me no matter what is going on. Even right. if apparently I'm doing something that some people find awful, the person I'm talking to right now loves me. Right. And I think that's why your mother and I make such good learners together because I know that she cares about me as a teacher. I think she cares about every teacher mm-hmm. wanting to them go, even that man who pushed every button that I would have gone off of me. When you understand that about people like your mother, all of their feedback becomes valuable, mm-hmm. right? Um, when you don't know that about your mother, you don't understand that about people like your mother, it becomes very challenging to um, accept that feedback. And I've known people to cry over things like that. I'm like... Mm-hmm. I didn't see a problem with what she was telling you because she was trying to make you better. But, but the relationship is key in that one. The relationship and then also the viewpoints. And that actually brings me to a little story about this that from another podcast I was listening to. 
um, there was a pastor and they were talking about viewpoints and he was new to his church and setting up some programs and he had worked in a large city before with a large homeless population and so when he came to this new smaller town he had a lot of resources in his back pocket of how to help and outreach with the homeless and so he was working on some workshops and he set up a workshop in the basement for community outreach and had purchased some food and was going to have breakfast and, and bring in some community leaders to set up some support and it was still early and those people weren't there yet but the church had opened and he was working on setting up and he heard footsteps on the stairs and came over and there was a homeless man who had wandered in because it was cold and so he stopped the man and how are you doing and had a nice little conversation and said well let me bring you up to my office and let me help you um, you know let's give you a list of some shelters that I know are good in the area and some places to go during the day and where you can always go for a hot meal or a cold meal and you know let me mm -hmm. let me help support you where you are right now and after the conversation and giving the resources and all that he felt really good about what he had done and helping that man and turned to come back down to finish setting up for the workshop and got to the point where he had met that man on the stairs and realized that at that point you could see into the basement and see this large spread of food and tables and coffee and things that he had set up and he did not offer that man a single mm. thing from that workshop he turned him around and brought him upstairs and gave him a list of other places to go and thought oh from that man's viewpoint i'm probably awful wow <laughs> You know, in that story, the sad part is that he, that he, that homeless man was sent away. Mm -hmm. But at least With the pastor recognized the, the fatal flaw mm -hmm. in what he had done. How many times have we done that and not recognized our fatal flaw? So we're right? still the hero of our own story and somebody else out there sees us as a villain and we don't even know why. Exactly. You know, I think we have these situations... Um, all around us. Uh, I, I have this conversation with my youngest child all the time about don't look at me with that tone in your face, right? <laughs> like, I know that you don't want to do this, but you got to, she goes, mom, I didn't say anything. And I'm like, your face spoke volumes, right? Mm -hmm. Granted, she's 11 and she doesn't know. And she's trapped inside her own head. She is. She and can't see her face. Right. It's a blind spot for mm -hmm. her. And I think some of us we have, I was in college many years ago, and somebody saw me driving along the road trying to come home. And they're like, you know, Sylvia, you look like you were angry at the world. And I remember the driving thinking I wasn't angry at all. And it, it dawned on me that my face, when resting, was very angry. And so mm. I now, as a result of that feedback, which I could have been very hurtful, um, I try to put, plant a smile on my face at all times. Regardless of what I'm going through, when people see me, I want to smile immediately because I don't want people to think I'm angry at the world. I don't want people to think that they're disrupting my life, right, by, mm -hmm. by walking past me and saying something. I have to condition myself to say good morning. Oh, I mean good afternoon. I mean good evening. Of course, you know, time gets away with me during the day, and I can't remember what, which one All to say. <laughs> right. So I think that one of the ways to get around our blind spot is to just condition ourselves, making sure that we are 
putting forth the message on our face that we want everybody to see, mm-hmm. that we are asking the right questions, that we're owning the feedback. I, I love the idea that that pastor came back and owned it, mm-hmm. that he, you know, I just realized that this is what I did. I guarantee you the next time somebody comes in to him, regardless of where he is, he's going to look around as he's giving feedback and say, is there something here right now I can do for you? Right. As opposed to just sending you all these wonderful things that, you know, what, but what right now in this moment can I do for you? Yes. And I think that that also hits me about learning to walk in somebody else's shoes Mm. and that when I speak, if I read in somebody else's face that they're not happy with what I'm saying, right. I need to stop and try to see things from their point of view. I need to step outside of myself and look and see what's going on from that person's point of view so that we can better understand each other. Right, because perception is reality. Mm-hmm. There's power in the perceiver. Um, if my students, if I give an assignment that I think is very clear and 25 of my 25 students don't do it. Then it wasn't clear. Then it wasn't clear, <laughs> right? And if, if one person comes back and they don't understand the directions, that's one thing. I could, I could say you aren't paying attention, but then if I go around and I see that, man, there's one person in every group that's not doing this right. Is that really a possibility that seven or eight kids didn't understand me? Or is it there a greater possibility that I wasn't as clear mm-hmm. in my writing as a national board candidate? There's places when I read and I go, this is so clear. And when somebody reads it back, they go, mm, I have no idea what you're doing here. And so I have to own that mm-hmm. as one of my blind spots. But I'm going to somebody who maybe has expertise in it. And even if I'm clear and they're misreading it, there's a possibility that the score is going to be just like this person. So that means I need to do something because I want to pass. And also that goes back to what I was saying um, before as well. It, It also depends on the receiver that if what I did was give directions that I thought were clear, but I gave them all auditorily, if I've got some oh. kids who are concrete and need to see it, if yes. I didn't write it down, then that's why there's eight kids in this group, in this class who didn't get it. I didn't write it down for any of them. Yes. So how can I be clear to my receivers and not just in my intentions? Because we all come with a different set of baggage and circumstances right. and learning ability. And I have to know the people in front of me to be clear. There has been so much in these three chapters um, yes. that, and these are all called truth triggers, right? Because somewhere in the process of feedback that we're giving and receiving, there is truth. Mm-hmm. There is either a kernel of truth or a gallon bucket of truth. And I think as people who want to become better, as a better facilitator, as a better teacher, as a better learner, as a better writer, we've got to make sure that we are taking advantage of the feedback that we're being given. And I also think that with there being so much here, not only do we want to take advantage, we also want to hear from the people around us. So as you guys read and listen, what are your questions in these chapters that you want to talk through? Both things you don't understand and ways that you just want more and want to think more about this. So our forms question this week and what we're going to ask from voicemail, voice memo, email, any contact, Give us your feedback, but also tell us your questions about these chapters and let's talk through them together, especially next next week for our live webinar. We will see you guys on... I think the date was changed to Thursday. To Thursday. But yes, your voice is important to us because um, as we started this, we recognize there are so much, there's so much in each chapter that we could have spent hours talking about 
actually we could have spent a whole podcast on each chapter and we spent three chapters in one podcast so that means there's lots of windows there for you guys to find something that we didn't talk about that you were interested in hearing a perspective on or that you wanted to share your perspective on Uh, your voice matters to us as well so be sure to contact us and send us that feedback you do that at ctechpodcasts at gmail.com. You can send it to Sabrina. You can find us on Twitter at Ctech Podcasts. Or you can directly email Sylvia or myself, Nicole Hoff, Sylvia Ellison. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys. Have a great day. Sylvia and I would like to give a very special thank you to our sponsors this season, Ctech Ed, the Center for Technology and Education. They are committed to bringing educators high-quality, relevant, and engaging professional learning opportunities. The motto is, your learning is our promise. They offer a wide variety of learning opportunities from ESL certification courses to webinars, connecting you to current trends in educations. Live sessions in the Aspire program offer support for teachers seeking national board certification. Throughout the year, they offer a wide variety of classes to grow teacher leadership, enhance the use of technology in the classroom, and expand instructional repertoire. Check them out at cteched.org or contact them at info at cteched.com. Thank you.